The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show. It's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at Doug Williams, yes, on the Twitter. Don't forget, you can listen to this at YesNetwork.com or download it to iTunes. It's a free subscription. The cost is free 99 Here is why I think the Kansas City Royals are destined to win the World Series this year, Doug. Their record this season was my birthday, 89 and 73, August 9th, 1973, meaning I just turned 12 years old when they beat the Cardinals in the 1985 World Series. I just turned 41. 41 minus 12 equals 29, the length of their World Series drought. It stops in 2014, Doug. You can stop playing the NLCS. The winner over there is immaterial. The Royals are bringing the trophy back to the big K. There is a blue light special on Destiny, and the Royals have cornered the market. I'm a broken record, I know it. Down 7-3 to to Leicester in the A's in the AL wildcard game in the bottom of the eighth inning. Win. After beating what was the hottest team in the AL West in all of baseball at one point, the Royals matched up next against a team that was the hottest team in baseball when the season ended, the LA Angels of Anaheim by way of California. The team dead last in home runs, the Royals, for the year in all of baseball with 95. They were the only team... Not to homer 100 times. They have the most in the American League portion of the playoffs with eight and trail the Cardinals by just four. They've belted the most with 12. Of those eight, Mike Moustakis, who hit 15 all year, one of just three guys with double-digit knocks on the club, and none had 20, has four of them. Wade Davis, who had one win in two postseasons with the Rays, three appearances, one start, has doubled his amount of wins in this postseason, notching two wins against the Orioles. He has 10 strikeouts and two walks in eight and a third in this postseason, while sporting an ERA just over one at 1.08. And for his career, now he is 3-0 and with a 172 ERA and 10 appearances and that one start. Davis is channeling his inner 2009 Phil Hughes. Everything is breaking right for Kansas City. Just ask Lorenzo Kane. 8 for 12, batting 667 in his first postseason. So much for experience under the bright lights. No losses for this team yet, by the way, and it's on the job training every night. They always say act like you've been there before when you score a touchdown. The Royals are very much playing like they've been in the postseason before, although eight of their nine starting position players, zero postseason experience until this year. The only one with a sniff, Omar Infante with the Tigers three times and the Braves once. This team, it's, it's so fun to watch, number one. Number two, I don't think I've seen a team of destiny since maybe the 96 Yankees. Now, look, that was a different kind of team. This team is laden with young guys, pretty much all homegrown, who are with this organization from day one. Guys like Hosmer and Moustakis and Gordon and Billy Butler. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And it's these guys who are coming up with the big hits. Was yeah. Billy Butler in Game Three, and you take a guy like Jeremy Guthrie, who hasn't pitched in how long, eighteen days, and he comes in, and he has that kind of command, and he shuts the Orioles lineup down. There's just something special about this team, Doug. You can't deny it. I don't know if I've ever seen defense set a tone oh my like God. it has how in this can series. I forget the defense. I mean, the defense, honestly, uh, and I'm. I understand that defense is important in baseball, but I've never really been a huge believer that there's a difference between certain guys in in the pros. They're they're professional baseball players. They all know how to field. You know what is the difference really that big between Kelly Johnson and Brian Roberts? I wouldn't think so. But in this series, you've seen. The athleticism on display. Mustakas last night. Kane, it seems like every night is making a diving play. But defense is getting their team going. It's a tone setter. It's not the the three-run home run in the top of the first inning necessarily that's getting the crowd and the team going. It's the diving catch to save a lead. These are the, the, the plays that are keeping the uh, Royals fans and players in that winning mentality because they got off to an early deficit last night. But they continue to keep the momentum going with these highlight-level plays. And also, Chris, I mean, like you said, all these guys have been in the Royals organization for a lot of them for their whole careers. 
it's a testament to the fact that maybe you don't need those big free agents. Maybe that's not what wins anymore. I mean, we saw that with those Yankees teams that were so great. They weren't filled with huge free agent signings. They were filled with guys that grew in that organization. If they didn't start there, they went there and they grew as players. It seems like they are the total epitome of a team. Yeah. Yeah. You can't say it any better. It, and listen, Guthrie hasn't pitched in however many days it was. He comes and he throws basically five innings of gem baseball, if you will. I, I know it was only five and Yost got him out of there and he isn't Yosting anymore, as we were joking about a couple weeks back after that A's uh, game that almost went south because of his decision uh, to put Giordano your, your uh, Ventura into the game. Uh a starter by trade and he put him in in relief and that game almost blew up in his face. But something that really catches my eye, and I don't know if you, the slow motion replay of Moustakis nabbing that line drive, but not that the catch was unbelievable, but Guthrie turning around, not a tip of the cap, taking his cap off (laughs) and showing it to, to Moustakis at third. I mean, that's the camaraderie. That's the teamwork. When everything is breaking right, too, I mean, you have Jared Dyson running his mouth, and that could blow up in your face. And then you have the play last night where he slid back into third on that fake to first throw to third. Uh, and the Orioles' third baseman, um, Flaherty, puts his knee down into Dyson. And, you know, he talks some more crap after the game, you know, because he says, I'm not going to say anything. I gave him a look, but I'll let our sticks do the talking. I mean, that's when you know that self-discipline to not react or do anything on the field and let your team take care of everything on the field. That's when you know you have something special going on. And this Royals team, (laughs) you know, Captain Obvious here. They they haven't lost. They 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 beat the A's. They swept through the Angels, uh, beating Weaver, beating Shoemaker, beating C.J. Wilson, and now you know we've talked about it before. Who who do the Orioles have as that ace who could stop the bleeding? We don't really know. I mean, is it Tillman? Is it? It's not Chen. Um, it's not Bud Norris. You know, we go on and on and on. They're in big time trouble. Uh, listen, I know the Red Sox came back from a three nothing deficit. But you're going to need a heck of a lot more (laughs) uh, than the Red Sox had in 2004 to come back and beat this Royals team right now. They are just – they're smoking. They're going hot knife through butter. Any cliche you want to throw in there, this Royals team, I'm serious. I'm saying it right now. What's today, October 15th? We're taping this. The Royals are going to be your World Series champions. You heard it here first. They – we talked about this in the hallway. Oh, I'm on the bandwagon, baby. two, Two days ago. Um, this year has been so confusing. This October has been so confusing in terms of what your, what you, what you, what exactly do you want in a team? What's the, what's the, the blueprint for a team to win in the postseason? And a lot of years it's cleared up, you know, you really need starting pitching or certain years like the Red Sox one through nine, their order last year made you think, well, no necessarily superstars behind big poppy, but just good bats one through nine this year. All of these teams are, are pretty different. I mean, the I would say the Giants and the Royals are fairly similar. Decent lineups that just score runs at the right times. Good starting pitching. No superstars really in their rotations, but just good start, starting pitching with the exception of Bumgarner and James Shields. But generally, we don't really know this year what team is is where because of what. You know, the, the Orioles, I will say, they've gotten this far. Good for them. But if you're a Baltimore fan, you just got to wonder, why don't we have that guy? Why don't we have someone to throw out there tonight that you know is not going to give up any runs? Score two runs and we'll win the game. Why don't we have someone like that? And that's that, I think, has been the reason why I've kind of, uh, I don't know, predicted against them all years. Because in a game like tonight, you need a shutdown ace. And Tillman giving you four and a third innings pitch tonight is just not going to do it. Or, you know, who is going for the Orioles tonight? Is it? I can't remember who it is. I don't know. I'll um, look it up while but you talk, but I'll do that right now. It's really – it's just – it's a big gaping hole in their team, and it feels like it has been for the last five years. I mean, two years ago in the postseason, CC Sabathia 
dominated the O's in two games in a five-game series. I mean, that's debilitating if you don't have anyone to face off against them. And, it, it, I mean, also with the Orioles, it's amazing that they're even where they are. They don't have Chris Davis. They don't have Manny Machado. Uh, they don't have Matt Wieters. I mean, imagine their lineup if they had those guys. Uh, you would be adding to Adam Jones and Steve Pierce and uh, Nelson Cruz in the middle of that order. And I don't know. I, I will say I, I think you're probably going to be right. The Royals' home field advantage right now, too. I mean, think about how many games uh, they play at home. and how Miguel Gonzalez. Yeah, that's not going to save the season. That's not going to be the guy that's going to go eight innings. See, but this is the thing, and you brought it up. It's about it's this freaky postseason. You know, this wasn't coming under fire when the Orioles right. went through the Tigers past three exactly. <laughs> Cy Young Award winners, uh, you know, like it was nothing. They beat uh, Scherzer. They beat Verlander. They beat David Price. And they beat David Price on the road in Detroit. And if you're if you're the Orioles now and you have a David Price going in Game Four, if you had that, you would feel a hell of a lot more confident. Yeah, you'd think we're going back to Baltimore. Right. We'll get this thing back. Right. Then Miguel Gonzalez. And look, I'm not taking anything away from Miguel Gonzalez. I'm not. But he is not David Price. And David Price threw a hell of a game in that Game Three against yeah. Baltimore. It's he just didn't get any offense, which was which was his problem in, in Tampa. All in the, the postseason, Chris Miguel Gonzalez could pitch really, really well tonight, and he still probably wouldn't go more than seven innings because right. you don't trust his stuff enough. He's not an ace type pitcher. When you have an ace type pitcher, if he goes go out seven. There, Buck Schultz will be doing exactly. <laughs> but isn't that it, it? That's the fallacy right now. And you're right. I mean, last in the ALDS, we would have said doesn't matter. The Orioles don't need the. Uh, the top flight rotation guys, they, they can win with their offense. And now we're saying they can't win with their offense. They need a top flight rotation guy. It just, I guess it depends on the situation. It does. It does. And, you know, it, you just scratch your head. You would think that this, would go, this was going to be, because of what the, the Royals had going for themselves too, sweeping through the Angels, beating the A's the way they did in the wild card game, and the Orioles going right through Detroit's three former Cy Young Award winners right in a row. I just had the feeling that this ALCS was going to be one of those knockdown, dragout, classic seven-game series. I did. You know, the Royals steal one with a, with a, with a steal, <laughs> pardon the pun. Uh, the Orioles come back and clobber one of the Royals starters and win like 10-3 or 10-4, just back and forth. But that hasn't been the case. And, you know, the Royals have been getting good, solid starting pitching past James Shields. And who would have predicted that? Who would have predicted that after the a- they beat the A's in the wild card that the Royals would be getting this solid starting pitching and the bullpen? The bullpen was unbelievable in that game three against the Orioles. You know, and with the rain out, you got the three straight games. Well, actually, the rest of the series, you know, if necessary, is right in a row. So if the Orioles are going to do this, you know, right now they're on a, uh, you know, they got the one more. Wait a minute. Game four. Is it 2-3-2 or 2-2-1-1-1? I think it's 2-3-2. I think three are in Kansas City. Uh, so they've got two more in Kansas City, including tonight, uh, and then they've got the two in Baltimore. Th- that's what they that's have. That's another in front thing of. I'm going to look up. Well, I'll look it up really quick. I think I have it, but yeah, Baltimore, Kansas City is tomorrow as well. So yeah, it's two, three, two. I mean, that's they got a, a mountain to climb I, right now. It's huge. It's you know, huge. It is a common one common theme. Uh, through the playoffs Everest. so far, has been bullpens. I mean, the the bullpens that were imploding well, are look at gone. The Tigers, yeah, the Tigers are gone. Um, and this Royals bullpen is the one top flight around the league, well respected part of their team. I mean, you can ask any manager in baseball; they will tell you the best piece of that team. Uh, is their bullpen because they bring in Herrera in the sixth inning throwing 100. They have Wade Davis. Wade Davis, by the way, arguably, we were all going crazy about Dallin Batances all year. He may have had a better year than Dallin Batances, yeah, had a better ERA. And Dave Island, they, you know, I heard him on MLB Network Radio, and they, was, they were talking about Wade Davis with him. And, and, you know, there was a little question about, you know, his arm strength and how he was going forward into the postseason. And mm-hmm. Dave Island basically said, Wade Davis is ready to go and he's going to pop, he's going to open a lot of people's eyes. And what has he done? I mean, he's the one who came in. He's got two wins game one, game two. The W's are next to Wade Davis. Uh, the guy 
he was a decent starter with Tampa Bay. He was. He was never that ace guy. He was never the top of the rotation guy. But you could come in, and it's after Herrera, as you said, comes in and throws 100, and he's gassing it out. And then you have Davis behind him throwing 97. That's, that's unbelievable. And you're going from the sixth inning on with these guys? And, and the Adam Jones and Nelson Cruz looked absolutely lost, lost. against Holland last lost. night in the ninth inning. Like, they had no idea what was coming. Cruz swung at a pitch that went 55 feet. Um, Adam Jones looks – I mean, that's probably the worst sign for the Orioles. Those middle-of-the-lineup guys look lost right now. And when hitters are lost, how much can you do? I mean, Nick Swisher got lost – Every postseason for the Yankees just had no idea what he was doing. Uh, all his mechanics were all mechanics were, were lost, gone. Yeah. And when it, that happens to a team, when they go cold, there's really no way to get it back. And, and that, and you're, when you're cold in the postseason, what are you going up against? The best pitchers that baseball has to offer in the postseason. They got to the playoffs for a reason. Uh, if your bat goes silent, uh, if you if you are silent. You don't have a hell of a lot of time to make that bat speak again. I mean, it, it's a very quick turnaround when you're facing uh, the major league's best. Now, as far as the NLCS goes, um, I, it, it just seems like, you know, I brought this up with people after the 2012 World Series and the Giants won their second in three years. And everybody tells me all the time, well, you know, you need an all-star at almost every position. No, you don't. The Giants are living proof. And, and the, my response to them was always, name five guys on the Giants. I dare you. <laughs> that was it. And they can only come up with two or three at the most. And two of them might have been pitchers. They got Buster Posey. They might have got Panda. And they got a couple of their pitchers that were in the rotation. Because they're easy. They're like everyday you know, names that you hear. Right. But you go down that lineup. You know, Hunter Pence is huge. Huge. Uh, Pagan, he's been hurt. He's huge. He, but you look at that lineup. It's not Carlos Beltran. It's not uh, Mark Teixeira. It's not these huge names that any baseball fan, you would get it in a second. The Giants are doing it with that. The Cardinals are doing it every single year. Why, Doug? Why? Tell me why. Their farm system. Their farm system is like a well-oiled machine. We lose one, we've got four more down there, and we're ready to bring them up. And the Brewers own that division during the regular season until the very end. The Cardinals just came out of nowhere, and that's why everybody has to realize. if, If this doesn't define it for you, In full technicolor, I don't know what does as a baseball fan. It is a marathon, not a sprint. Is every game important? Absolutely. Doug and I talked. He brought that up last podcast. Like a game in April against the Orioles for the Yankees is just as important as a game in September against the Rays. You lose that game in April, that could be the game that keeps you out of the postseason. So every game of a 162-game season counts. But as a fan... You cannot lose your lunch if you lose a game in April. You can't do that. Look at the Cardinals. Slow and steady wins the race. The Brewers were the hare. The Cardinals were the tortoise. Who's still playing? And it's actually going back to the Yankees because I know you compared. Just went all Aesop on you. you. I know. (laughs) You compared some of the you know Yankees hitters to the Giants, and it's interesting because. I'm on team let Brendan Ryan be your shortstop next year. Don't waste money on a free agent. And people don't get it. And I think that Yankee fans are starting to feel that way. Every offseason, it's like, well, who's going to play short? We need we need to go get Troy Tulowitzki. You know, we need, we uh, need, a, we need a bazooka to kill the, an ant at the every very, position. At the very least, we need as Dribble Cabrera. Well, you have a guy under contract that can swallow up any ball at shortstop, mm-hmm. get him to hit 230, have him sit in the nine hole, and you'll survive. And I if mean, guys like Teixeira and Beltran actually perform... Right. Maybe it puts more pressure on those guys. Make sure they realize you are in the middle of the order for a reason you need to produce. Brendan Ryan's not going to be driving in 80 runs at the bottom of the order, so you do your job. I mean, these are how teams work. When everybody has the same amount of pressure on themselves in a, in a, in a lineup and nobody has a specific role other than do what you do, you're going to be disorganized. Yeah. And the, the Giants, all of the Giants hitters know their roles 
And by the way, they're all good at multiple things. Both of those teams, the Giants and the Cardinals, I think a lot of people were talking about how boring that series had a potential to be. But it's important that the rest of baseball and baseball fans in general learn how winning recipes are made, you know, because those two teams are are the picture of success for the past 10 years. And it's about time that people realize, well, maybe we should be more like them and not not build this other model. Amen. Amen, Mr. Williams. And speaking of another team called the Giants. Segway. <laughs> yeah, we don't need an announcer. I, I can just do it. You got the pipes. It works. Yeah. Um, I, I, Eminem, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Will the real New York Giants please stand up? I, I'm so confused. I am so confused as a football fan of the New York football Giants that uh, I don't know which way is up, which way is down. They lose the first two games of the season, and you're like, ugh, it's just an extension of that preseason that was brutal. They're not learning the offense. You know, the offensive line is terrible. And they win their next three. And you're like, oh, my God. Eli could actually throw. He isn't done. His career is still around. We're going to win. Then they go to Philly. (laughs) When you're getting texts from Doug's former professor and my best friend from college, Max Negan, who is a diehard Philadelphia Eagle fan. And his text basically says, Connor Barwin's good. He's not that good. (laughs) You got to start scratching your head and saying, what is going on with this team? And, you know, Justin Pugh went to Twitter and said, you know, it's on me, blah, 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 blah. Justin, that's fine. And you manned up. And I like that. And we're going to hear that in our final thoughts, in my final thought today, which is a new segment to the Chris Sheeran Show. Very Jerry Springer-esque. Yep. <laughs> Doug and I will each have final thoughts on today's broadcast. No rebuttals. And moving forward without interruption. I, I always love to interject, but I'm going to leave Doug alone when he does this does his thing today but that's later that's for later back to the giants but i and i'll be honest i was into it until maybe the first bit first first possession wouldn't watch anymore i was out i punched out i jumped out of the airplane with my parachute on and thankfully it opened it was unwatchable (laughs) the, the first possession of the second half they get the ball they're down 20 to nothing and i figure all right, maybe we can get something done. Maybe we get. I was thinking that the last possession of the first half, punch one in here, we get the ball back, we get another score. It's 2014. Boy, was I stupid. <laughs> Fourth and five on that first possession. When Weatherford's trotting out, the remote is getting shut off. <laughs> I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. I, uh, it, it was so ugly. I mean, when your starting quarterback is sacked. Seven times over the first five games, and he's on his back six times in three quarters. You you got to start asking yourself some like, whoa, 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 what is this? It was was the Eagles' defensive line I, on five hour energy, and the Giants were drinking decaf. I, I don't know, but that's what it looked like. It was yeah, it was like the Giants' offensive line was all on muscle relaxers, and they were just moving <laughs> a little better, slower yeah. than everybody else, but. It was unwatchable because not only were they not scoring, like a lot of times you, you can amass 600 total yards and only score 13 points. It's just the luck of the draw. Maybe you have some turnovers. They could not move the football. No. And it's the ultimate fallacy of a sports fan, Chris. Could they? Yes. Will they? No. It's, it's the same reason why a lot of times, you know, the Yankees are only four games out with 12 to play. Could they? Yeah. Will they? No. And it's a fallacy, but it also keeps us watching. So I had the same exact thoughts after the first half. I'm like, you know what? 20 points. It's not that much, man. I mean, but you, how was I forgetting? Was I forgetting about the fact that they got manhandled in the first half and that unless they brought back Kareem McKenzie and Rich Soybert and David Deal in his prime and Sean O'Hara, they weren't going anywhere. See, that's when your heart starts to control your right. vocal cords. Yep. <laughs> and your heart says, Hmm, only 20 points. And then your head starts beating your heart to death and saying, shut up. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. Weatherford will be out in three plays. Sit your rear end down. 
or shut the TV off and get a good night's sleep because if you don't do it now, you're going to be up all night thinking about how they could have won this game. And the one thing about the NFL, though, and I was talking to a friend after, a Giants fan, and he was just saying, this is so bad. You know, this team is so bad. And I was saying, well, the NFL is a week-to-week game. It is. A totally – and you know what? Actually, if I had my money, I would probably put it on Dallas. But I would not be shocked – if the Giants went in and at least played a very good game it next week. It wouldn't shock me either if, if they lost by three or won by three. It wouldn't. No. Like 27-24, 24-21, something ridiculous like that. You know, everybody wants to anoint the Cowboys after that win in Seattle. But, you know, Seattle lost a lot of pieces from last year. They did. They're not the same team. So to sit there and say Seattle's the same team, who knows what they are? Maybe they lose six games this year. We don't know what Seattle is. We don't know what Dallas is. They're five and one. But after week one, were we thinking this about the Cowboys? Jason Garrett was on the damn hot seat after week one. And now everything is great in La La Land. That is Jerry. You know, star marks the spot. It wouldn't, like you said, it wouldn't shock me if the Giants went in there. But I, I really and truly think there is no way. They win this game Sunday. None. The nice thing also about playing None. Dallas in Dallas, Chris, zero home field advantage in Dallas. More, There'll be half 50% You're Giants right. fans there. You're I mean, right. they cannot hold their own in an arena, those, those Cowboys fans. I don't know how it works, but for some reason, the, the cheers for opposing teams are, are always just as loud as the Cowboys fans there. And I totally agree with you. The Seahawks are 3-2, and two, and last time I checked – it's not the same season as last year. So I'm sick of hearing people say... Oh, that's a huge win. Yeah. You know what? Last I, year in week 15, yeah. that's gigantic right. going into Seattle. Yeah. This year in week six... We have no idea how eh. gigantic it is yet. Right. So, and I will say this. I just said, NFL's a week-to-week sport. And I totally, I believe that. But the key is Eli Manning. The fact that we have Eli Manning, in my opinion, allows the Giants to compete every week. Or at least... You can allow yourself to believe that they'll win a game. Geno Smith, if the, if the Jets week to week, you can throw it all out the window. Segway. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying it all depends on, on the potential that your your team has. And Eli allows the, yourself to believe that the Giants can at least compete in a game in Dallas because he's a competitor and he's experienced. If you don't have that, you know that that's the key in my opinion. But here's the thing with Eli Manning. We need to keep him upright. And the offensive line needs to play better because it's either going to be Eli upright or Eli in a gurney with an IV bag attached to him (laughs) trying to throw passes. It's just not going to happen. Uh, And if they're not careful with this, and I know McAdoo made some uh, adjustments in those three victories, you know, getting the ball out quicker. And look at the first drive the Giants had that night. After they held the Eagles, who were going down the field like it was nothing, they held them to a field goal. I'm laying there like, okay, all right. They held them to a field goal. That could have been a lot worse. The Eagles' red zone was not good to them all season long, and it continued. And the Giants' defense bent but didn't break. They come right out. First play from scrimmage. I think it was Cruz, that little slant across the middle for 12 yards. And then then Andre Williams ran somebody over on the next play. And then after that, turn your sets off. Next thing you know, it's it's second and 45. Because that was it. They get that third and 19, and then they go back 40 yards. You just, you know, if you're a Giant fan and you're watching this unfold, you know, and I and I got to be honest, there are, there are a couple exceptions to the rule. They were down at the link, I want to say, in 2006, and they were getting their rear ends handed to them. I think it was 31-10 going into the fourth quarter, and Eli brought them back, went into overtime, and beat them. So there are a couple exceptions to this rule. But when you're a Giant fan, there's certain factors that connect, like stars aligning, and you know. (laughs) You just know the team is not going to win the game. And that whole sequence, and I didn't punch out after that. I punched out after the 27-0. That's when I was done. I couldn't take it anymore. But... This team, you're going to find out a lot about it. This is, a, to me, I know you said it's week to week, and this is the last game before they're by, but this is big. You, you need to get at least one of these games. They failed miserably against the Eagles. They need to beat the Cowboys. If they don't beat the Cowboys, what is this team? They're a team that beat the Texans, the Falcons, who were ravaged by injury, 
and help me out. Who is their other? Falcons, Texans, and Redskins. And the Redskins are terrible. You know, look at the three wins. You're going to start to see, and I told you this downstairs. I saw this season already. I tweeted this out. I saw it at great length, over 162 games. The New York Giants could very well be the New York Yankees. This is an 8-8 eight and eight team. This is a 7-9 and nine team. Maybe a 6-10 and 10 team if they can't beat the Dallas Cowboys this weekend. This game on Sunday, these, ne- these past two weeks, Eagles-Cowboys are going to define this Giants team. And if they beat the Cowboys, they could right the ship. You know, Tom Coughlin's new mantra, burn the boats before the season. <laughs> if they lose to the Cowboys, they better find some fire extinguishers or else they're going to be on the island by themselves. And one point that I made, if we're, if we're you know, given uh, little segues to what we were tweeting out during the game, <laughs> I tweeted out that the, the offensive line has been the same all year. Those are the same guys yeah. that allowed the Giants to get some wins. They mm-hmm. were 3-3. Three and three. And as bad as, as they look on paper, they're not incredibly talented guys, and that showed in Philly, but as bad as they are on paper, they actually were decent against Atlanta and against Houston. J.J. And, Watt. Yep, they contained J.J. Watt as best they could. My What I really saw in that not game— having, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but not having Rashad Jennings is That's the point I'm about to make. The, sorry the, I rushed it. No, it's fine. Andre Williams has that one nice run where he bowled over the, the defender. That was it. That was it. Andre Williams, other than that, is a downhill, bring him in in the third quarter when the defense is tired right. running back. Absolutely. Rashad Jennings makes things happen, and nobody brought it up. None of the commentators, nobody talked about, well, they don't have their starting running back. Why is that not considered a bigger deal? I mean, the fact that Rashad Jennings in the first quarter this year has been so good, making things happen, running outside, he can at least get to the secondary. Andre Williams, if he doesn't have a huge hole between the tackles, is not going outside. He's not a second chance back. So I really think when you can establish the running game early, and people were saying, well, he did. He established it. He ran, ran the guy over. Well, that was one run. you got to do more than that. The defense is not going to you know, bring back a linebacker after one run. They're not going to stop their blitz packages after Philly's one run. Philly's defense wasn't put out at all. No. At all. They... Most of Williams' runs were three yards or less. How long does that take in the NFL to run a three-yard play? Two seconds? Yeah, not long. Philly's defense was back up. And the Giants' version of hurry up was Eli audibling until there were four seconds left on the play clock. If you're going to run hurry up, run hurry up. You know, the Eagles, you know, every 22 seconds, listen, I respect Chip Kelly. I respect what he's done with this team since he came in. How many rings has this guy won? Can we back off the gas pedal with Chip Kelly and how great a coach he is and he's the next best thing since sliced bread? I mean, I have to hear Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth wax poetic about this guy. I get it. He's a good coach. What has he done yet in the the league? He's got a playoff loss against the Saints. Yeah. The Saints, that stalwart of a defense at home in Philly against the Saints. So let's let's back off the gas pedal, all right? Let, let let's let old Chipper there win a Super Bowl. Well, let's let them get Philly their first Super Bowl. Yeah, God how about forbid. the Eagles as an organization? God forbid. Uh, you know, I I totally agree with you. I, also, Nick Foles, that game could have been much worse. I really thought that game should have been like forty-one nothing. It yeah. should have been a much more lopsided score. Doug, but I Nick Foles was, is not that good. I thought it was going to be forty-one nothing at halftime. Yeah. And they only they like that's the thing they kept the Giants in the game like like teasing me on my couch, but Nick Foles made some really stupid mistakes. That's Buffalo Wild Wings. It's the bartenders. <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah it's the commercial where job. they they click up something in the uh, in the grass that trips up guys yeah, that are about exactly. to get touchdowns. That, that, that keeps you on your couch for a little while longer. They're in cahoots with the NFL. The NFL has enough problems as it is. But anyway. Uh, you want to talk about the Jets for a little bit, or do you want to leave them alone? <laughs> the Jets stink. <laughs> I, think, I think we had. I think everybody's had enough of the Jets. Um, you know, I'll I'll stick up for Geno Smith to an, to a point. And the one thing I'll say, and I'll get your thoughts on it too. Something I saw. You know, if there's one thing both of us know, we've been around it our whole lives. The New York media and members of it, not all of them, but certain members kind of think of themselves as players themselves and have this, you know, attitude of 
they're bigger than the game at some point. Again, not all of them, some of them. Yeah, just from what they write and what they, you know, what they come across as on Twitter. Um, and I'm not going to mention any names, but they said Geno Smith called out the New York media. I don't think he did. From what he said, I think that was just to get people to read the article. I mean, then I read actually what he said word for word, and it was basically, you know, him saying, well... I'm trying to do my best, but that's not what you would read or something to that effect. And I was just like, really? That's calling out the media? That's And it was also said it was blaming the media for his <laughs> lack of success on the field. He wasn't blaming the media. But you see, as the quarterback of a New York football team, especially the Jets, you can't do that. I mean, I could defend him there, but I really can't. Because when you're one and five and you're the quarterback of the Jets, the blame falls on you. And you have to accept that blame. As And I hate doing it because I know people hate this. It's the example I always bring up. But Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is going to fall on the sword. He always did. He always, took, he always accepted responsibility and it was always about the team. It was never about Derek. And I know a lot of people want to say it was, you know, this past year. He made it about himself. I think he deserved everything he got this year. All the adulation, all the gifts, it was well-deserved. Yeah, but he made $17 million. I don't care. That's his contract. (laughs) You know, that's what he earned over his years. Five world championships, but whatever. But a word to the wise with Gino. Take responsibility. Yeah. Take responsibility for your actions. Fall on the sword. It's what we talked about last week, and this is why I didn't want to talk about the Jets, because basically there's nothing to talk about. The the, the team is in utter disarray. And now they they, they lost their their cornerback for the season. D. Milliner, he's out. Torn Achilles. I mean, it just keeps getting worse and worse. (laughs) Again, a team that's 20 million under the cap, and now who's playing cornerback? Yeah, I... You know what bothers me about Gino is now he's had problems with the fans and the media, which is like the number two, the the two top it's, rules. It's a recipe for disaster. Right. You don't want to have issues. And say what you will, I don't think he's blaming them. I don't think he's you know saying you're the reason I'm stinking up the he's the football just field. Not he's just not savvy. right. He's not savvy with the fans. He's not savvy with the media. What I like to see, if I'm a Jets fan or, or whoever you root for, you want to see the guys that are just genuinely upset. And PO'd by losing. Especially in this area. And at, at themselves. Not at anybody else. At yourself, right? You want to be in the locker room saying, you know what? I just did not put our team out look there. Look at Choate. I, yeah, look, I mean, look at Randy Choate. Exactly. Answered Perfect every example. question. Phil Hughes did it after every loss. How about the fact that Geno Smith, you're sitting at your locker and you say, I, this is my second year in the NFL. I'm not, I, I'm not in a test tube anymore. I really need to start getting better. Or I totally get them doing something with me. And you know, How about fans, you take credit for not being a second-round pick quality quarterback? It's, it's, Rex Ryan did it a little bit this week. But at the end of the day, he's like he, he turns into Mr. Positivity in interviews. <sighs> Somebody needs to get angry with the fact that you know, you're one in five. And Rex used to be like that when he first took over. He would, you know, his press conferences were must-see TV. I mean, ESPN used to put them on live on a weekly basis. <laughs> uh, and, and I think I, I, it might be too far gone for him. Excuse me. The team might need a new voice. Uh, it might just need a new direction. Uh, he, I, it's been reported that he's safe for the rest of the year, though. And at this point, why wouldn't he be? I mean, the team is one and five. But you know, Gino just has to take more responsibility. And if he does what Doug just said, Fans and the media may still go out there on Twitter and say he stinks or, you know, a a writer might say, you know, have a negative piece about him. But they'll have – you know New York fans. They'll be like, okay, he took responsibility. He he said he – that's all you think need of, to do. Think about the storyline that New York fans want more. Do they want the guy that goes out there, stinks? And just talks about the future and how he's still working to get better. Or do they want, goes out there, stinks, says, I went out there and I stunk and I apologize and I'm going to get better. That's the guy they want right there. Uh, you know, I know I stink. I, I know we're one in five, but 
uh, it's my job as the quarterback, and this is what I started to say before, his body language was just saying, where's the bench against San Diego? <laughs> and you cannot have your body language saying, where's the bench? It, it can't happen. I mean, that, that should be a T-shirt. Like, where's the beef in the 80s? Geno Smith's head with where's the bench? You cannot put out that vibe when you are the head of the snake. And the quarterback is the head of the snake of every team. Every team. You think Aaron Rodgers is going to slump his shoulders and walk to the bench if he throws an interception? He's probably going to throw his helmet and show his team, I'm mad, and when I go back in there, I'm going to fix what I just did. You know what Gino should watch? First five minutes of a Mike Tomlin press conference after a Steelers loss. <laughs> Before any questions are asked, he stands up there. He goes, this is totally my fault. Not good coaching. We just went out there. We did not execute, and that, refol- that reflects me. You can't me. do that every week, though. No. Because then if you say not good coaching every week, then you're not a good coach, <laughs> and you need to go. Yeah, but I think, I think there, once you re- reach a certain— There is a certain line that you have to draw when right. it comes to that, and there's a certain—you know, if you lose five weeks in a row and your coach is saying that, well, maybe we need a new coach, Mike, and maybe the Jets need a new quarterback. I'm not ready to give up on the kid yet. I'm not. I am. Like I said two weeks ago, I think he has talent. But his head right now and his mouth are getting in the way of that talent. Now, we told, we said this before, too. Tim Tebow was a great college quarterback. Didn't really translate to the NFL. He had a shot with Denver. Not so much with the Jets. More of a publicity stunt, I think. But he was great at Florida. Geno Smith was fantastic at West Virginia. So is Noel Devine. He's not in the pros nowadays, huh? Is it lost in translation? It, it might just be, but I'm not ready to give up just yet. I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. Doug has given up. He has thrown his arms up, and he's done with Geno Smith. I'm not. I'm going to give him a little bit more time. I'm going to be patient. Pagiens in Italian. Patience. All right, Doug, it's time to debut our new uh, yes. ending to the show here. Very exciting. It's called uh, Final Thoughts. I know we're ripping Jerry Springer and the sports reporters, but I, I thought it would be a nice, clean way to end the show. And you have two guys here very passionate about what they do. Uh, Doug busts his ass, I'm saying it, during baseball season. He's around the Yankees all year long with the Internet. Uh, if you don't watch his videos, you need to get on YesNetwork.com and check him out. He works hard. He's here all day, puts in a ton of hours. Uh, he... he Really works on his craft, and he's an up-and-coming star in television. So thank you, Chris. Having said that, uh, you want to check out his stuff, and I figured it would be great for two passionate guys who really get into what they what they want to do, uh, and that is work for Yes and, and talk about sports for a living. Uh, hear from us and hear from the depths uh, of our nether regions, of, uh, you know, our heart, and, and just how we feel about certain topics. And uh, maybe Nether Regions was a bad way to put it. But you knew what I'm talking about. So without any further ado, here's Mr. Doug Williams' final thought for today's podcast. Okay. Uh, The Yankees fired hitting coach Kevin Long on Friday after seven years with the team. His fireable offenses, though, were not cumulative. It was the 2014 season that specifically did him in. The Yankees hit 245 as a team and scored just 633 runs, which was third to last in the American League. While Long is well-respected both around the league and by the Yankees hitters themselves, he simply did not get the job done last season. Thus, now begins the search for his replacement. There are the in-house options like Marcus Thames and James Rowson. Both are solid candidates but have yet to coach at the major league level. Not to mention the fact that they are both younger, 37 and 38 years old respectively, than some of the hitters they would be working with. For young teams, it's usually not a problem when the occasional veteran player is older than a coach. In this case, though, it would be a significant amount of pressure for a guy like Thames to give hitting advice to players who came up right around the same time as he did and are still running out on the field every night. There are possible outside hires. Greg Colburn, for example, who recently stepped down as the Red Sox hitting coach, is among the names being thrown around by some. Another possibility is Dante Bichette, a former slugger in the big leagues, a close friend of Joe Girardi and the father of Dante. Dante Bichette Jr., a prized Yankee prospect. Then there's another name, Jason Giambi. 
Giambi was the Yankees' first baseman from 2002 to 2008 and somehow is still an active player in the league today at the age of 43. Last season with the Indians, the Giambino served as an occasional designated hitter under Terry Francona. He had only two homers and five RBIs and 60 at-bats for the Tribe last season and filled the role of a coach much more than that of a player. Giambi's greatest talent as a hitter was always getting on base. His career on base percentage sits at 399 and his 1,000 366 walks or 32nd on the all-time list. Oh, and he also has 440 career home runs. His on-the-field numbers clearly make Giambi very qualified to teach hitters, but that's nothing compared to his reputation off of it. He's viewed by many, including Indians manager Terry Francona, as a manager-in-waiting. In 2012, he almost became the manager of the Colorado Rockies and was offered the hitting coach position. Instead, he turned it down and later signed a contract with the Indians to keep on playing ball. Last August, I wrote an article about a potential position for Giambi in Major League Baseball, not as a manager or a coach, but as an ambassador for the game, specifically for young players on their way to the big leagues. Truth is, Giambi has lived an incredible baseball life. He became a star right in the midst of the steroid era and later admitted to using in 20, 2004. While many of the former superstars who admit guilt simply disappear into retirement after their transgressions are exposed, Giambi has done the opposite. He has continued to play, speak about baseball's direction, and has become one of the more well-liked guys in the game while doing so. So back to why why I think the Yankees should hire Giambi. Despite the fact that Giambi still wants to take his hacks, I think even he may soon admit his playing days are over after he hit just 133 last season. Secondly, he would be a great fit for the established veteran lineup the Yankees will undoubtedly feature next season. Think about it. Guys like Carlos Beltran, Alex Rodriguez, Brian McCann, and Jacoby Ellsbury already know how to hit. It's what got them their current contracts, and it's why their pages on Baseball Reference are littered with all-star appearances and MVP votes. Say what you will about the importance of hitting coaches and whether they actually make a difference or not, but I don't think there's a candidate out there that could relate to those hitters quite like Giambi could. Maybe it's less about a teacher and more about a mentor, especially with veterans. And with the younger, less experienced guys, Giambi can be both. That's a versatility that Kevin Long, a lifetime minor leaguer, could never really offer. You want the best out of Alex Rodriguez? Pair him up with a guy who came back from and succeeded after an admission of guilt over PED use. You want what's best out of Brian McCann? Sit him next to a guy with 95 career home runs at Yankee Stadium who has been sitting hitting against defensive shifts for years. If Giambi were to succeed in this role for the Yankees, he'll have teams lining up on his doorstep hoping for his services as their manager. This would be a reunion that would benefit both sides equally. You sold me. On one condition, he keeps the mustache. The stash. the stash is key. Thank you, Doug, and here's my final thought. When you think of high school football, you think of tradition, competition, sportsmanship, character building, helping transform boys into young men. You think of wins and losses, celebrating the victories and helping these kids deal with adversity in the face of defeat. There's a lot in football that relates to life. You have to learn to work as a team. You have to trust and believe in one another. That kid you've had a feud with your entire life? Maybe the same kid who was blocking for you on the last play of the game with three seconds left and you're down four at the two-yard line. In the face of ultimate adversity, you are after one common goal, winning, just as you do in a job in everyday life. You may not get along with all your coworkers, but you strive for excellence as a team. Let's back it up a bit to the statement I just made. You have to trust and believe in one another. One of the core principles in every team sport, really. Think of it as links in a chain. All of the links may not be as strong as the next, but linked together, they become one hell of a strong chain that can make a motor run or do some serious damage. In Cerville's football case, the damage wasn't done against an opponent. It was allegedly done in their own locker room against their own players who probably trusted and believed in one another. Seven senior players were taken into custody last week for the alleged hazing ritual committed against freshman team members. According to a parent of a player, during the hazing, four older members of the team would pounce on a freshman and restrain him while two more kept watch at the locker room's entrances. The final attacker, the parent said, would sexually assault the victim. The charges filed against the players caused the administration to end the season. Serval has won three of the last four state championships on the gridiron. Miles Hartsfield, the senior captain, had his scholarship to Penn State revoked. 
It's not known if he was one of the seven players arrested, but according to NJ Advanced Media, officers were seen at his house minutes before several police made their announcement about the seven suspects. Penn State just got their eligibility back after the whole Jerry Sandusky saga, so they were right to get out in front of this and end the relationship with the running back slash defensive back. Again, Hartsfield is not known to be one of the people taken into custody, but as a team captain, if he knew about this and let it happen, he is receiving the proper punishment. As a captain, you have a responsibility to the entire team. You don't turn a blind eye to the atrocities that were going on in your own damn locker room. If the coach is in the locker room rarely, as he said, as a captain, it's your responsibility to police it. Here are the disgusting charges. Three of the players were charged with aggravated sexual assault, aggravated criminal sexual contact, and conspiracy to commit aggravated criminal sexual contact, criminal restraint, and hazing for engaging in an act of sexual penetration upon one of the juvenile victims. Uh, One of those defendants and four others were charged with various counts, including aggravated assault, conspiracy, aggravated criminal sexual contact, hazing, and riot by participating in the attack of some of the victims. The players' charges were first reported on NJ.com. Now listen, I was involved in hazing during my high school days. Not too much. It did help having an older brother who just graduated and was the size of a billboard. But as a freshman on a football team, it's almost expected to be embarrassed on more than one occasion. We had to sing the alma mater out loud if a senior stopped us in the hallway. And if we didn't know the words, we had to drop and do 20 push-ups. The worst thing I ever had to do as a freshman football player, was slide through a huge mud puddle that was on the baseball field between short and second base after a huge rainstorm. And in that mud puddle was spit and urine. That pales in comparison to what allegedly happened just a town over from where I grew up. Parents who complained about the season being canceled They need to get their priorities straight. Their closed-minded, blinders-on behavior reminds me of an old George Carlin acronym, NIMBY, not in my backyard. If it's not my kid, then it shouldn't matter. What if it was your kid? What about the kids that it allegedly happened to? Their psychological well-being is undervalued compared to your son getting another championship jacket? Good Lord. The cancellation of the season needed to happen. Serval has to clean out the garbage. Don't you think that includes the coaching staff as well? They are safe for now, and I don't want anyone to lose a job. But as Dr. Martin Luther King once said, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Yeah, that about sums it up, as far as not being in the locker room a lot and having no idea what was happening. It's about taking responsibility for actions. That's something that rarely happens anymore nowadays. Today, it's about pointing the finger at everyone but yourself. It's about doing anything else but manning up for your actions. It all goes back to what I began talking about. Team. It wasn't just seven guys who broke through a banner under a goalpost on any given Friday night or Saturday. It was an entire team. They are all, in some way, responsible for the alleged despicable actions of these seven players. And it was quite fitting that these seven players' alleged disgusting acts led to their team forfeiting their last seven games of the season. Don't point the finger at the accuser. Don't point the finger at the administration. Point the finger at seven players who decided this was acceptable behavior. Several football got what it deserved. That's going to wrap up. The Chris Sheeran Show for this week. Doug, thank you. Very well done. Very well done. Thank you for that. And we will see you next time. Uh, Be sure uh, to download this on iTunes. And when it happens, like magic, it'll go right to your device. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.